Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. And tonight's guest is Jim Giffen. Um, we also had Mike Delaney um, was guest hosting with us, and Chris was behind the camera tonight. So we had a great, great conversation. Um, not going to give too much of it away, but uh, I highly recommend it. Um, check it out. And don't forget to like and subscribe and all that stuff. So here you go, the Washdown Podcast with special guest Jim Giffen. <clears throat> On that note, fucking Fight Club. Yeah. But, yeah. That movie was a mind fuck, by the way. It was a good movie. I, I enjoyed I it. I didn't say that. I said. I enjoyed it. It was just weird. I didn't see the twist coming. I didn't see the twist coming either. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I need to re- revisit that just for fun. Well, the funny thing about that is, like, it makes you want to go join Fight Club, but why do we want to get our faces pummeled and losing teeth every day? Mm. I don't uh, know why we want to do that. It was more appealing 10 years ago. Yep. Maybe 20. (laughs) I don't know. I think it probably comes down to personality type and wanting to test yourself and do something that is not necessarily the societal norm. Mm -hmm. Probably the same reason why we all... Our first responders. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes. I, ju- I just want my debt wiped out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's all I want. Yep. A good yeah. plan, too. Goes right towards that. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, what would you, what would first responders be without mountains of debt? <laughs> Bad decisions. <laughs> Bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could talk about that for sure. Yep. So, Jim. Hey. Thanks for joining. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say this has been a long time coming, but uh, it was kind of last minute short notice. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'll take it. Found a there sucker. Well, thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for coming, man. We appreciate it. So why don't we get started and uh, why don't you just give us a little background on yourself and uh, we'll jump into it. Cool. Is this uh, close enough? Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. So my name is- Oh, he gets mad when you whisper. Don't do oh, that. Okay. okay. Sorry. Well- <laughs> Yeah, it. it just it makes the the sound goes away. So whenever cool. you go back and listen to it, like it'll just completely drop out. Sweet. So you know that'll work. It's yeah. So go ahead. Cool. Well, I'm Jim Giffen, and uh, quick summary. <clears throat> Where do I start? We'll just start with uh, when I was 17, and so kind of what helped me start to figure out mental health and awareness was looking back. The earliest thing I thought of, of being my problem was military experience. And so I joined the military when I was 17 and, uh, I actually graduated high school semester early. I took extra classes so I could get out of the house. Not that I had a bad house environment. I was just ready to move out and, uh, joined when I was 17. I was 113 pounds, super little guy. And, uh, Oh, crap. I didn't turn my phone off. I am so rude. Jeez. Hey, you got to answer it now. Yeah, it's my wife. Oh, you definitely got to answer that. Okay, we're answering Just it. hit the pause. No, no, we got to see what's up. See, we're we still on? Yep. See oh, I see the pause. pause now. I don't ever do this. Not Jeremy so has to do some Now editing. I've got more editing to do. Sorry, guys. Hey, you I, it's here. not your fault. It's him. No. Because <laughs> I asked him specifically before we started you know how to operate that yeah i know how to read start and stop obviously he doesn't know a pause button <laughs> mm, what that looks not like my two lines are confusing they on are button yeah. yeah he never lets anybody touch it it's on him 
He set everybody else up for failure, even though he preaches success. Uh, Fuck him. Oh, isn't he a, like in a leadership role too? No. So is he. He's uh, an appointed. Yeah. He's an appointed leader. <laughs> I've been a leader for years. Leadership is something that doesn't have to come with rank. <laughs> yeah. No. Tell that one. <laughs> anyway, back to you, Jim. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, seventeen, I joined up the military. Uh, it was army, and I just really wanted to go and support my country and do anything I could, and joined up as infantry. And uh, so while I was in basic training is when I turned 18, had my birthday there. Three months after basic training, I was in Iraq. So it was very, within six months, I was already on my first year-long deployment. And uh, when you join up, like they don't go, it's kind of like fire service. You think it's going to be super awesome, which it is, super awesome. They don't tell you about all the mental health issues you're going to have and the things you're going to see and things you're going to go through with your guys, you have no idea what's going to go on. And during that time, like it's literally a year long of just high stress the whole time. And for me, which it was awesome. I loved it. Loved being deployed, loved being with my guys. Um, but you don't realize the trauma that you're going through during that time. And I'll get into like how this relates to the fire service for me. Um, but it started out with the military. And so during this time, I'm 18 years old, never seen a dead body, never gone through anything super traumatic like the military. Most people don't. And so there are a couple things. I'm not going to go through everything I went through. Um, but obviously people trying to kill you. Basically, your life is just, hey, we're going to go on this mission. we got each other's backs, and we're just trying to make it to the the next meal. That's our goal. And then once we get back, we're going to eat. We're going to go work out. We're going to eat some midnight chow. Then we're going to bed for four hours, do it all over again. And life was actually really easy, super easy. Like you don't have to worry about insurance. You don't have to worry about bills. You don't have to worry about anything except for taking care of your guys. That's it. And so as time goes on, both my, so I had two deployments, both deployments were first three months, nonstop, just nonstop, lack of sleep, losing buddies, people getting shot, blown up, just pretty bad stuff. And, uh, my first deployment, especially, um, that's where I saw my first dead bodies. And at the time I didn't, you just don't know what to think about it because everything's just so fast paced and just nonstop. Whereas the fire service, the trauma does build up or the trauma is there, but you've actually got more time to deal with it in the fire service. Cause it's usually like, here's one bad call and you get back to the station. You can kind of think about it and, and sit in it for a little bit. Military, when you're deployed, it's okay. There's the dead bodies. There's your buddy blown up. Next mission, next mission, next mission. And it's just on and on and on and on. And so there were times where my squad, we would, we were like the go-to squad of volunteering for being on Overwatch with our snipers and covering high-value targets that we've got for intel from and getting all the intel for raids. 
and watching main routes, which so route Tampa at the time was the worst road in the world, most dangerous world and deadliest. And so we were on, uh, I'd be on overwatch with my snipers and basically it was my turn to watch this road. And we're look, we had Intel, there's a vehicle born IED. I'm like, cool. I got this watching. We've just made it. We were on the roof and made a little hole in the wall and it's about four story building. And so I'm just watching out of this hole, looking for anything suspicious, people planting IDs, looking for trucks that look super bogged down and super heavy. I mean, that's usually a key sign for a vehicle borne ID. They're pretty smart. They pick, they know, they come to find out what we're looking for. So they start welding these springs to keep them from compressing. And so they stay the right height that they're supposed to be at, even though they're packed up with 4,000 pounds worth of bombs. And so I'm watching and I see our MGS platoon where I was in the striker brigade. This platoon comes by and I see Sergeant Yoon, Lieutenant Smiley. They're standing out of the air guard hatches. And, uh, and I, I recognize my, I know I see them drive by all the time. I know these guys are awesome. And, uh, I see them pull past this. It was a tan pickup truck with a big tan tarp over the back. And you could see this tarp was just packed over the, over the backside. And so they drive by and uh, Sergeant Yoon leans over the edge and he's like, he w- stops and he like waves like, hey, stop, telling the truck driver to stop. He doesn't, they pull by and boom, it blows up. And uh, Sergeant Yoon ends up getting uh, shrapnel through his head and he's had permanent brain damage since. Lieutenant Smiley gets shrapnel through his head as well, but it just severs, I don't know if it's his, Whatever connects your eyes, so he's, like, permanently blind. And uh, for a while, that used to bother me a ton because, A, I was the one looking. I, I missed it. Like, that's that was my job, was looking for that. And I completely missed it. And uh, luckily, no, none of our guys died from that. But, A, one of my guys permanently brain dead, or not brain dead, damaged. Yeah. And the other guy's permanently blind because I missed it. And so I didn't realize how much that was going to bother me till a lot of these things like start bothering you down the road when you're finally out of it. And, but again, that was a year long and it's just next traumatic event, next traumatic event. Then I start getting, we're in these alleyways and people are doing drive-bys on us. When kids are coming to say hi to us, these kids are literally getting shot, getting their brains blown out when they're trying to shoot at us, but these kids are the ones suffering and dying. And uh, I remember one time this happened and my squad leader picked this kid up and we run and we, you know, jump in front of a taxi and we're like, Hey, you know, we tell him to stop. We're like, Hey, you're going to the hospital and to take this kid. And we go to throw him in the back and the guy yells at us. He's like, no, you're going to get my seat, the back seat all dirty because this kid's brains and blood are all over the place. And we basically had to shove a gun in this guy's face, say, you're going to take him or we're going to kill you. Regardless, he took him. You know, he he made a good decision. (laughs) Um, And so we throw this kid in the back, and we know the kid's probably going to die. There's nothing we could do. Um, And I remember my squad leader, he's he's got this kid's brains all over his his vest, and he's just covered. And, uh, again, at the time, it's just, man, you know I mean? Just like fire service, like, 
you got a code or whatever it is, major accidents, like we're just in work mode. We're not really processing the emotions right now. Like yeah. that's not what we're doing. We're in work mode. Working, working, working. Go my first deployment, second deployment, and I keep on having these little things. I, they're not even little things. Again, that's me dumbing down what <laughs> a traumatic event is, making it a small thing, but it wasn't. Um, but I keep on, I still do that, make it seem like it's something small. And I think that's just most of us. We try to minimize it. Yep. Like my trauma is not that bad. Other yep. people have it way worse than I do. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to suck it up and uh, just carry on. Yep. I think that's back to our A-type personality is. Yeah. My problems aren't bad. I need to be there to help other people. I don't need people to help me. Yep. And it's kind of what needs to happen during those deployments. Yep. I mean, it's actually adaptive at that point. Yep. Yeah. For sure. And, and I mean, with that, like, you look at, for most of our personalities, we see it at the fire station or even police department. You go through a traumatic event, and one of the first things that comes out of our mouths is a joke about it. Hundred mm. <laughs> percent. You know, and we're totally joking. Yep. Yeah. And that's our again. That's not bad. It's mm. a it's a way to process it. But I think there needs to be some further processing that needs done. Not just hey, I made a couple jokes. We're moving on. Yeah. Like, okay, we need yeah. to process a little more. Let's make those jokes. Yeah. Um, but let's move on and figure that out a little more. Uh. And so without going too much, too crazy into the military stuff, so I got out of the military five years later, got two deployments under my belt, um, lost some guys that I knew, and so one of the things that I figured out that I wanted to do was be a firefighter, and because so I was like, I need that camaraderie, I need my guys, I can't. I'm not the type of guy that I can just sit around and be by myself. And I figured that out pretty quick when I got out. Um, I would go around fertilizing and spraying for weeds on grass. And so my father-in-law was super awesome. He hooked me up with a job real quick. Same with his uncle. They helped me. I had two side jobs going on. and uh, But both of them I did not like at all. Like it, complete opposite. I was literally in Iraq on a deployment and covering my buddy's backs and they had mine and felt like you're doing something. And I get out and I go to, I'm spraying weeds and fertilizing lawns. Cool. Yeah. Like. Not quite the same. No. Like it, talking about depression kicking in. And so with that though, and I'm sure you guys are going to, you want to talk about this. So I get out. They briefly talk about, hey, you know, just keep out. Have you ever felt depressed? No, like you're literally asking me right after all this is going on. It's like, no, I'm, I'm still maxed out. I don't, I haven't even come down off of a year long high yet for you to be asking me if I'm depressed or feelings of suicide or anything. And so then after the military does all that, they're like, okay, you're good. You said you're all good. Let's move you on. You're, you're getting out. And then you get into the real world. In the real world, it's harder than it, – it's it's the hard, it's the harder version versus being deployed. Like being deployed is easy. Um, and so you get out and then you start realizing like something is wrong with me. Like what the heck is going on? And all the while you are still being like, I got this. 
I'll move on just like I always have. I'm going to work through whatever the heck this is, not realizing what was going on was hardcore, deep depression, like really bad. And PTSD kicking in and everything. Like, it's really hard to explain until you have actually gone and been through what depression is. Like, you can do the whole slideshow thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, look out for these things. And, but until you go through it, you're like, and you're actually sitting in it for two and a half years and you're not getting any better. You're only getting worse. That's when you're like, okay, that's what depression is. And for me, at least, like I had no idea. And it, it messed me up pretty bad. Excuse me. And, uh, so I ended up just getting my life just kind of went downhill pretty quick after I got out. Um, wasn't content with my life um, for a job or where I was going. And I was at the point of I didn't love my wife. I didn't love my kids. And both of those were a root issue because I didn't even love myself. Like, I didn't care what happened to me. I didn't care if I died. I was just – I was mentally – checked out. I was gone. I was, I was gone to say the least. And, you know, you look at those percentages of people that, Hey, you know, you're thinking about depression, you're planning depression. You're actually going to kill yourself if you planned it. That whole thing. Like I was like that next step. I couldn't, I don't think I could have been any closer without actually doing it. And so getting involved with all my other sins and stuff in my life that I, I just gave into freely. I didn't care anymore. And I would often be like, God, you got to help me because I, I don't have this fit. I don't know what to do. And one day I just gave up. I was like, screw this. I'm out. And I just gave into everything that I could think of. And, uh, luckily my wife, she's a big reason why I'm still here. Um, talking about the support that my wife had for me and sticking with me. And my wife very easily could have been like, you know what? You're out of the house. See you later. We're done. Divorced. Never seeing the kids again. Instead of doing that, she went back and saw how broken I was. And she felt bad that she didn't see it before. Because when I got before I joined the military, I was this very fun little kid. I was 17. I was a very fun, outgoing little kid. I get back from my deployment, and she just thought I had grown up. And I did too. I had no idea. Um, but what it was is my baggage that came with that. Mm-hmm. Had yeah. no idea. She had no idea. We Neither of us. And so... When she saw how broken I was, like she forgave me on all the, everything that went on, and she went and supported me along with my family and her family, and very open to both of them of what was going on. And again, I still didn't even know; I just had a grasp of what was going on. Right. And so, as time went on, you know, we're going to marriage counseling. She's helping me through all of this and getting back to loving my family and my kids again, and still struggling. Then um, I made it through, got all my fire certs, 
got everything I needed to do because, again, I needed that camaraderie of my guys. You know, I needed my boys. And got all that figured out and started applying. And applied to multiple places. But then um, one morning my wife called me and she's like, hey, did you hear about Swindle? And Swindle was a guy from my second deployment. And I'm like, no, what's going on? It was 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm just starting work. And she's like, he got killed in Afghanistan. And I'm like, okay, cool. She's like, well, you doing all right? I'm like, yep. I mean, I as good as I'm going to do, but I still got to work. So I just... <laughs> So let's I'm, just shove that down a little yep, bit yep, further. Yep. I yep. got to shove it down, and I've got to work. We've got to bring money in. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so I continue to work, and uh, she came came up just to see how I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, babe. Got to keep moving. And um, so the day goes on, and it's just swirling through my head. I mean, all I've got, I'm on this machine that's spreading fertilizer, and all I've got is just time to think all day long just by myself and I'm just the day just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse and I'm like at the point I'm gonna go re-enlist I'm done I'm gonna I'm literally going to drive up there and re-enlist and I want to go kill some fools like let's do this and I want timeline sorry real quick from when you got out to this moment so about two and a half three years which I'm surprised I lasted that long like I was pretty bad (laughs) (laughs) um and uh, so two and a half, three years, that's when Swindle died. I'm working that day, and I'm sitting at a McDonald's, like, over at was it Blue Springs area, and I'm just sitting there. I'm supposed to be fertilizing it. I sit there for probably an hour and a half just staring out the windshield. I'm just spaced out, just super pissed. And, again, I'm thinking about I'm going to re-enlist. I'm, I can't keep doing this. And that is when I get a call from one of my ex-chiefs. Literally, like, I'm going to go re-enlist, and I get a call from him. He's like, hey, is this Jim Giffen? Yes, sir. He's like, hey, this is Chief so-and-so. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, Chief? Well, I was calling to see if you wanted a job. We got a job opening. We want to give it to you. And I just start bawling on the phone. I'm like... I'm like, I just lost my body. <laughs> I'm like, the, the timing couldn't have been better, but worse. Like, yeah. it's, it was bad. And I'm like, and he's like, hey, can you come in the next week or so? I'm like, no, I can't. I got, I have to make it to my buddy's funeral. I can't do this. And he's like, cool, you take your time. We're going to hold a position for you till you're ready. And I was just like, totally a God thing. Like, it couldn't That's, have planned yeah. out any better yeah. than that. And so moving on, um, and again, during this time, I'm just barely getting a glimpse of what depression, understanding depression and PTSD. And so I end up going to the VA during this time and telling them all what's going on. Like, I don't know what to do. I need help. And that's when they, you know, do their tests or ask me questions. They're like, yep, you definitely got PTSD, da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they don't really do anything after that. They're like, hey, we're going to add it on to your disability. And, again, I think half of that is also me. I probably could have tried a little harder to figure out what other avenues there are. But yeah. 
um, you're a whole what twenty twenty one years old at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was pretty. Young. You don't know how to so, advocate for yourself yet. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, not to mention, I mean, the VA is notorious for oh, you've got PTSD or whatever problem. Here's a bunch of pills to take. Yep. Yep. And and they just make things worse. Yes. And that was I told him about like my I had trouble sleeping at night and I I can fall asleep really fast. It's just the not waking up. Like I wake up a ton at night and they're like, oh, well, that sucks. Here's some pills. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, (laughs) no, I want to be able to sleep good. I don't want to use meds all the time. And so I used them for a little bit. I was like, I'm and I'd feel more tired in the morning than I did before. So I stopped taking them. So yeah, the VAs, they love that. And, uh, so fire service, we end up getting, I end up getting that job and I'm there and probably been there for six years. And I'm still dealing with a lot of this continuing to go to marriage counseling. We're working through all that. So have you done like, any actual counseling for your PTSD and depression, like on your own at this point? Um, so the merit, so our marriage counseling, it probably took four or five years to really realize I need to work on the PTSD depression aspect. I was focused a lot and it took me a while to change my mindset too to even put a lot into our marriage. Um, I was a very slow learner. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say something yeah. about that, but I mean, that's typical of, uh, you know, yep. firemen yep. and cops. Hey, well, um, I'll figure it out eventually. That's yeah. why so we can recognize it so fast now. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> I've done that. It's like, yeah, I did right. that for. Mm. <laughs> yep. Stupid. Um, and so I ended up going, doing the marriage counseling and it wasn't till we got this one marriage counselor, like he, like laser focused on not our marriage as a whole, but it was like, what do you have going on in your life? Tell me about your childhood. And I was like, what the, why are we talking about my childhood? And, you know, we can get into that another time. But uh, coming to find out, like, early childhood had a big impact on how I see things and view things and how I act now and my, my insecurities and why I always wear baseball hat and like <laughs> you know Weird. like all of that stuff my baseball hat is like my safe mm-hmm. my safe place so um and uh so he he dug into that a lot and it was man one or two sessions i'm like whoa light bulb like this is pretty awesome like i made a lot more advancements and helped my wife understand a lot more like hey this isn't just always a communication issue This is a lot more of what's, you know, the background stuff that's going on. And unfortunately, I think in most marriage counseling today, it is not explained enough. A lot of marriage counselors seem to focus on the whole, the communication thing. Mm -hmm. But if you have two broken people, it doesn't matter how much they communicate, they're still broken. Yep. You got to, each individual needs to do their own work to be better as a whole. Yes. So... Yep, and back to like they people always think I need to fix the marriage. Well, even stop focusing on your wife. Focus just on yourself, because then you will be able to focus on your wife when you're you're fixed. Yeah, or getting better. Yeah, exactly. When like, you're the best version of yourself, 
then you've got a lot more room yes. and a lot more brain power to to do all the stuff that needs to be done. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So my marriage is perfect now. I've got it all figured out. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Love okay. to hear you. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell us your secret to that? Yeah. Uh, my better half. I just let her run the show because she is awesome. Um, now I, and that's what's funny is like I notice with me, most of our marriage issues are because I'm short with her. I put a lot of the burden on her, and it's like, well, how about I stop doing that? Like, most of the problems are because of me. And she's always <laughs> communicating. I'm the one that's not. Not listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yeah, I've never done that. Tell me about that. It's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't can't sympathize. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah. It makes uh, no sense. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and so. Just listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because you're behind the camera doesn't mean that you get to sit there silent. But but I'm Moran. Okay, so long-winded question. We don't have time for that. <laughs> it's an interesting story. I'm well, I'm actually listening. It's not like when Jeremy talks. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um so I'm back to what I was telling you. Um fire service so i dealt with that for about six years and i ended up moving shifts and got with the captain who is very open and honest about stuff and i don't know what caused it but going through this counseling got with the awesome captain and awesome crew and one day i was like you know what i'm just going to do a i'm just going to do a little powerpoint oh that was part of it was in our local area we started there are a couple suicides going on and I'm like, what the heck's going on? Like, why are we, kill- as firefighters and police officers, why are we killing ourselves? Like, this is not okay. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to make up a little PowerPoint and just do a little something because I don't want to lose any of our guys. And so I, I put it like together a 11 or 12 slideshow PowerPoint presentation. And basically all it is is, hey, guys, this is me. Here's all my stuff. Here's all my baggage. This is a real deal. Take it or leave it. And uh, how we all are here for each other in the fire service on the job, but are we here for each other every day of our lives and off-duty? Are we carrying the burden? Are we actually being peers for each other and loving each other? And that's all it was. It's real short and simple. And... What I noticed after I did this was the amount of people. So I had some guys that they asked me, like, they stopped me in the middle of it when I'm telling my story. They're like, were you dealing with all of this stuff, like, when you first got hired on? And I was like, yeah. They're like, dude, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, A, it's not your fault. You didn't know better. B, it's not always the other people around me that have to be coming to me and asking me how I'm doing. I can go to you guys and tell you I have a problem. I'm struggling. I'm going through a lot of crap in my life. But most of us don't do that. And then we go and get upset. So when I was in, I got out during that two, two and a half year window, I got out and I was getting mad that the guys I was deployed with weren't calling me. And checking up on me. And I'm like getting mad at them. Like, 
do they not know I'm going through a hard time? No. No. They yeah. don't. <laughs> Literally. Like, if I'm not, or if you don't know why I'm mad, I'm not going to tell you. Yep. That is the equivalent. That's yep. the male equivalent of that. Yes. Yeah. Just so, so stupid. Yeah. But, but it goes back to that whole thing about being the helper. Mm-hmm. It's, we don't want to ask for help. Yep. We don't want to say, I'm struggling, you know, it's, well, they should just know. They mm-hmm. should notice or, you know. So all along the way, you're doing everything you can to hide that struggle yeah. from everybody yeah. underneath the sun. Yeah. And even if they did call and ask, I'm fine. I'm yeah, good. I'm good, man. But I'm literally getting mad at you for <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. What are what is wrong with us? Hindsight's so awesome, isn't it? Gosh. <laughs> oh. It's yeah. That God, man. That is just so. And you know what? Like. Almost everybody that we have that come in and, you know, that we have these conversations with, it's the same thing. Yep. It is the exact same story. And it's like, how are we not learning this? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get it. But then again, I did the same thing. Yeah. You did exactly. the same thing. Absolutely. He did the same thing. Like. Yep. Well, so how do we fix it? And we still, so I just had it. So January. I had a lot of crap, and we can get into it later. Excuse me, sorry. January, I had a lot of crap just pile up on me really bad. And uh, I ended up going into work, and I that morning I was like, I should call in sick. I do not want to go to work. I ended up going to work anyways, and I am just a grumpy butthole <laughs> all day long. <laughs> like, we're literally looking at a remodel on a station, and I'm just like, that's going to be crap. That's going to suck. And I'm like, we're getting a new, basically a brand new station. And I'm complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up doing some training. And uh, at the end of the training, I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I got a lot going on. And so it took me a while to get to this point. But I'm like, why? I finally apologized to him. I told him, I can't talk about what's going on. Um, but it's it's bad and there's a lot. And the guys were like, cool, we knew something was up. So thanks for at least letting us know and acknowledging that something's going on. Because, you know, those guys are worried that it's them mm-hmm. when it's not. Yeah. But they don't know that. And so it took me a while to get to that point. I tell people tell people what's going on all the time. But then it came back to me literally in January. I'm not telling them for a long time what's going on or at least something's wrong. Yeah. And... But after I did that, like the mood in the whole station was like, ah, okay, we're good. You know, and the last thing we want to do is be the Debbie Downers. We got enough of those guys Mm -hmm. in our stations. You know, we don't need to be those guys. The go-to guys are the ones bringing people down. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we just need to stop. (laughs) Just stop it. Long long story short, stop it. Yeah. Nope, I 100% agree i mean and it is one of those things of you know you got stuff going on in your personal life or stuff that you haven't dealt with that you've run calls on or whatever and i think we probably all had that wake up in the morning and just i don't want to go to work today Mm -hmm. and just been a complete jerk all day long yep then sometimes you don't say anything and you should yep Mm -hmm. it's it's really funny how just saying something Literally, is like flicking a switch. It was just night and day. Yeah. 
Well, and it you, makes you feel better too. Yep. Takes that, like, pre- takes that pressure off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You don't have to try to hide now, you know, although everybody knew it, even though you're trying yep. to hide it. Yeah. And our personalities, we can't hide it, but we think we can. Exactly. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. See, I'm going to correct you there. We are the best. Yeah, at we're so just good at keeping it. Every, we, every one of us should get Oscars because yep. nobody <laughs> ever knew anything was wrong yep. until we Heck told yeah. them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so true. No. Yeah. No. No. Nope. Yeah. My wife used to ask me, she's like, how do you handle stuff? You seem so well adjusted. I'm like, ah, I just do. I don't know. Because I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I think that was just her way of going, something's going on with you. You mm-hmm. need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Just brush it off and sweep it under the rug and yep. put it in a box and throw it away. And it's never going to come back to haunt me. No, never. 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 <laughs> yep. Pretty frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. That's for sure. But I think the important thing or one of the important things is, you know, talking about it and have, being able to have those conversations with your crew, the people that you work with, that open communication, open dialogue, and it being okay. Mm-hmm. That you can sit down at the kitchen table and you can go, hey, this is what's going on. You know, even if, you know, you don't have to get in specifics about stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's all you need to do. That's why I'm such a big fan of peer support and all that stuff, because when you deal with it at that level, sometimes going to a clinician, you don't need to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously there are times where you have to get to that clinician Mm -hmm. level. Um, I kind of equate that to kind of how Chris and I came up in the fire service. And the tradition used to be, you know, you would take everything to the senior firefighter. If you had a problem, take to the senior firefighter. If he couldn't solve it or she couldn't solve it, then you go to the driver. The driver couldn't solve it. Then you go to the captain and then the captain makes everybody unhappy, (laughs) but stuff gets solved. So, and I think that's just kind of how it is. There's levels that you kind of need to go through. And I don't think it's, at least on the PD side, it didn't seem like it operated like that anymore when I got out. Yeah, when I was brand new, it was, if you can't solve it amongst yourself, last-ditch effort, tell the sergeant. Yeah. The sergeant can't solve it, last-ditch effort, go to the captain. Because then you're going to start getting the, the black-and-white paper policy answers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Once you include those people that have to do their job. Yeah. I don't know if that always happens anymore. Um, I can tell you that it is not that way with at least our department now. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak for the fire service as a whole, but it seems that that's one of the traditions and the informal leadership that we used to have that used to be just commonplace has gone by the wayside. Yeah. And I don't know why that happened or when it actually happened, but. Cause a little bit of that too, would have to show, uh, build more resilience too. Cause if you're peer to peer handling everything, peer to peer mental health issues come up too, you're going to feel like you can go there with that too. Yeah. Instead of skipping rank everything. And then you, all of a sudden you got something you need to talk to somebody else about. You're like, well, we don't do it on other stuff. I can't talk to him about this stuff either. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Mm. So, I don't know. How many years were you on when you did that PowerPoint presentation for mm. the guys? I'm guessing six or seven. Yeah. And you were on peer support then? Yeah. So, we yeah. had just started. We were in around very, maybe a year. Um, but nothing had really 
just like anything, getting started, getting the ball rolling was very slow going yeah. in the fire service. And uh, what I noticed with our peer support program, so, and I think the biggest key with that is putting yourself out there. So when I gave that presentation, I, I couldn't have been any more honest about who I was, where I came from, my experiences, and I was getting down to the nitty gritty because these, these guys are like my dudes. I, I really want them to know who I am because I don't want them to have to go. And I would tell them this, like, I don't want you to have to go through what I went through. And if you do go, what you go through, if you do go through what I went through, I will be there with you next to you. And I've literally had to do that with a bunch of my guys already. And it has been awesome for me to do that. Uh, and it also gives a purpose for me to have those negative experiences for, to allow me to grow, for me to be stronger, to help me carry that burden with those guys. Does it suck carrying the burden with them? hundred percent. It is exhausting. Sometimes would I take that away? I wouldn't because that's what we're supposed to do for each other. And Absolutely. I know they would do the same thing for me. And, but it took me to do that PowerPoint for them to be able to see that. And I think there were some slow changes going on, but for me, and this is just my perspective, after I did that, I think a lot of things changed. I had a lot of people come to me afterwards and vent to me and talk with me. And I was doing, I would stop by in the mornings and just check on the morale of the guys. Like when I'm getting off shift, I just go by a couple stations and just hang out with them for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, sometimes it turned into an hour and a half, depending on if people just pull me to the side and want to talk to me. And we hadn't really had much of that of, of somebody. And I'm not trying to say, look at me or anything. Um, but they never really had somebody going and checking on the morale and especially during COVID like COVID was a morale destroyer uh, talking yeah. about a crappy time and for people to go and do that is awesome. And then it got to the points of like, Hey, I'm just having a bad time and you know, real minor talks into real big life changing trauma that people are going through and being there with them at 12 o'clock at night and they're coming over to my house and we're just having real life together like okay we got fire service but we've also got real life go and actually going through it is just awesome and i know you guys have done that with your buddies too and it for someone to have that trust in you that they're willing to blah here's everything everything that I have going on. I'm like, cool. I don't know what you're going through. I'm here is a game changer. Absolutely. So <clears throat> it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about trust that way because, you know, fire service, police department, we have to trust the people that we work with, mm -hmm. with our lives. Yep. But nine times out of 10, we won't trust them to talk about our feelings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. That's yep. different. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's great to see that kind of change happening mm -hmm. because that's where you really can start to bond as a team and become more of like a family. Yep. So. Yeah, that's huge that you stepped up and did that. How long did you debate 
before you pulled the trigger on that. Oh, man. I had a, so I worked on the PowerPoint. It's probably a couple months that I had the PowerPoint done. And uh, luckily, was, I, was, I was with that captain I was talking about. And I was like, hey, you care if I go ahead and do this? I'll just see how it goes. And uh, pulled the crew just into the living room, and I put on the TV. So they're all just laid back in the recliners, just checking it out. <laughs> had no, they had no idea. They, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> Don't hate. Man. Yeah, that's jealousy. I'm a little bit of jealous of that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you can come by anytime, man. All right. Yeah. Um, and so you know they're all laid back, and they had no idea what it was about to, what is going to turn into like me just and his first so. Back to that, though, I never told anybody except for my wife all of that stuff, like my deployment stuff, and I I laid it all out there. So the first, like, three times, I'm just mm. crying and sobbing, and I can't – I'm not even coherent, and I'm just a mess. Yeah. And uh, when I got done, like, these guys got up, and they like – gave me a hug and they're like thank you so much like it was awesome it meant a lot cuz you know everybody's got those guys that you can give them tell them your deepest darkest secrets and they're gonna be like okay cool and they're out like mm. they're not they could care less yeah but to have had that opportunity to give it to guys who truly cared about me and were there for me was awesome because it could have gone either way Mm -hmm. i could have given it to the wrong people and that could have ruined it for all of the guys because i would have just not given anymore yeah absolutely so that was pretty awesome and just having that support but yeah it's pretty it's pretty funny like it changes your mindset when you start opening up and telling people and it changes everybody else's mindset as well back to what you're saying like I'm not just the only one going through this stuff. Yeah. Finally, I see that that yep. there's somebody else. Yep. And when you were planning to do that and thinking going through the PowerPoint, did you realize how good it was going to be for you, or were you just thinking it was going to be good for those guys and the oh, culture of the yeah. fire department? Totally thought it was just like <laughs> I'm going to help for, everybody. Yeah. 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 I just want people to know that you don't have to struggle alone. And blah blah blah. It was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I still get teary-eyed and there's certain times that it'll hit me pretty hard but not anything like it used to like man those i'm telling you that first time it felt like it took me three hours because i was crying so much like yeah. yep. i'm like i haven't cried like this since i was a kid when i fell off my bike and so, never would you have dreamed about doing that in front of guys like that yeah i yeah. if i had known that i probably wouldn't have done that <laughs> <laughs> like when can i stop this powerpoint i'm done uh, yeah never mind yep yeah. so it was all just a joke, guys. Yep. Uh, we're yep. going to watch Star Wars now. Yep. It's fine. Heck yeah. Clone Wars, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Best cartoon ever made, right? There. Yep. No, but I mean, you raise a good point, though. I mean, and that's kind of the point, one of the points of the podcast is allowing people to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Because the more that you tell that story, all right. you know. I'm making noise back here. I was just I was like, is that? <laughs> no, it's me. I was making sure it was somebody else. <laughs> No, but the the more that you talk about it, the more that you tell the story, and obviously with a purpose, though, the easier that it gets every time. Yep. You know, and it's going to take less than that burden. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whenever I went through treatment, they, they did one little 
talk or whatever about, um, you know, you carry around all this stuff in a backpack with rocks. And then by talking about it and sharing, you taking those rocks out and kind of setting them down. And I agree with that 95%, but I also think it's, you're kind of giving a rock to somebody else and they're helping you carry it mm-hmm. a little bit. And there's something about that, being able to share that, that I think makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, makes the other people who are going through that know that they're not alone. Yep. So some of their burdens kind of lifted too. Yep. And I think by doing things like that, at least from my experience, it, you, I think you gain insights into yourself and what you went through and how to coach people through that stuff just by standing up and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like I know that sometimes I've talked or talked to people or even given a presentation um, and while I'm in that, I'm like, oh man, this, 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 and this, these were other things I can add to it next time. Mm-hmm. Like you learn a little bit about yourself every time I feel like. Yep. Yep. That, it's awesome. It's a lot though. Like it, it can be start. I think the starting point is very overwhelming and I think everybody, like for those people that say, okay. I'm just not going to talk about it or I'll go see my counselor only and work through it with the counselor. Like you said, the peer led, Mm -hmm. I think is key to getting people to work through it. Um, But doing like, I think even if you do a counselor only and you think you're doing good, but you're still not sharing what is going on in your life, I think you're missing it. Mm. Well, so my personal pet peeve about that is people that will go and, you know, they, they'll go see a counselor and then it'll be like, they just won't talk about it. You're not actually helping. Like, I mean, you're going to help yourself, Mm -hmm. right? But your brothers and sisters that are sitting across the table from you that are struggling, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know that it's okay. Yeah. Because there's that stigma in these professions that if you go and talk to a counselor, oh, you're weak, you don't you know, don't belong on this job, go do something else, that kind of crap that's been around for years. Mm -hmm. It's like, but no, this person who everybody thinks is like the most awesome firefighter ever is going to counseling, but he's not saying anything about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I have an issue with that. Right. So. And I think also you limit, or those people, they limit their growth potential too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to, they're going to peak out. Yeah. It's like an athlete. You can't just go to the game, succeed, and never get any better. You know, you go to counseling, you go to therapy. It doesn't stop in that hour. No. The work, the real work gets done outside of that office. Um, so he, they're a person that never admits or talks about that they're doing that. You know, they may be, they may be functional and healthy and nobody knows it, but I think they stall out, too, to, to what they could be. Yeah. As healthier and as much growth as they could get out of that. Absolutely. And a lot of self-realization too. Mm-hmm. Cause like you said, you, you sit there and you have these conversations or you do these presentations and you realize stuff about yourself. Yeah. Cause the more that you talk about it, the more it's like, Oh, okay. Now I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. I get that. Before you know it, you got a lot of stuff, Yeah. <laughs> you know, Yeah. but I kind of want to touch on something, um, that we had kind of talked about on the phone about, I think it's important to remind people that are doing the peer support that are being there for the other people on the departments 
to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's a part that gets overlooked because we do fall into that trap of, well, okay, I've done my therapy. I've went to treatment. I've done this. I've done that. I'm fine. Now I'm going to help everybody else. And then you stop dealing with your own crap to deal with everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And then you end up right back where you started or worse off. Or worse than yeah. that, they don't ever do the work on themselves but think, oh, I'm going to do good, I'm going to help these people, and then I'm good. Yeah. Yep. And then all they're doing is hiding it. Yeah. Yep. On that, so what kind of <clears> – <throat> I think I told both of you on the same day. Um, that January, I had a squad leader for my first deployment. He killed himself and uh, found out a couple days later, long story short – Second or the week later, I found out for, I lost a buddy for my second deployment. A couple weeks later, good friend of mine, basically almost the same thing. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like mentally, I am shot. Plus, I'm helping buddies go through. I mean, I got multiple people in my life that are going through a ton of crap on top of all my stuff that I'm dealing with. Cause it wasn't just like, Hey, I lost a buddy. It was also like, I, all my military crap just got thrown back on me again. And why am I not there for my guys? I'm not, I should have called them sooner. I should have checked up on them. So on and so forth. All these negative thoughts going through, I'm not doing enough. And it's like, but I'm literally maxed out on helping. Like I cannot do any more, but I'm getting on myself for thinking I should be doing more. And it is a very overwhelming, or not overwhelming. Yeah, I guess it'd be overwhelming. But, and a worthless, or I feel worthless and weak mm -hmm. because I can't do enough. And so with that, but then again, you don't want to like tell people, hey man, I can't help you right now. I've got too much crap going on in my life. Like, and I don't want to tell people that, you know, like I'm... I put myself out there to be there for people. I've got people coming to me now and I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you guys down. The only way to help you is to stop dealing with my crap. So I'm going to, I'm going to raise up an idea. Mm -hmm. You can tell me if I'm way off base. That's why there should be a team. Yes. I agree. Yeah. So with that though, um, and I'm not saying, from my department or anything, you know, this is just in general with peer support mm -hmm. is for your team, are they built up with people that are trusted and people will go to? That is the problem with peer support, especially in the fire service. Yes. Because it's telephone, telephone, telefireman. Yes. And all it takes is that one time where they go to peer, somebody goes to peer support and that peer support person spreads their business all around the mm -hmm. department. And then that, Peer support is shot. All yep. that works for nothing. Completely. Yep. So it, it, that's why there has to be a very, very strong, firm, hardcore, whatever adjective you want to put in it, yes. vetting process. Mm -hmm. And a continually. Yeah. Like almost like you have to have checkups too. Yeah. Because yep. um, people's lives change in a heartbeat. We all know that. Yeah. I mean, one of the best peer support members one month, get a bunch of stuff piled on top of them like you saw, yep. and need to unplug them for a little bit. doesn't mean they won't be back or won't be good in the future. Right. Just yeah. not for a time. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And then I think, uh, so back to the overwhelming, like feeling like you're overwhelmed though. Like even though you feel overwhelmed, 
you can still call somebody mm-hmm. and tell them what's going on. And I think uh, when you say the overwhelmed aspect, or say I'm overwhelmed, I also think we're using that as an excuse. Because we have phones literally in our hand all the time. And how much free time do we have? We've got specialist firefighters. We've got quite a bit. Like, hey, even after, say we're say we're swamped all the way till 7 o'clock, we just got eating dinner, we finished chores. Okay, walk away and make a phone call. Go call your buddies and tell them what was going on. You know, like I didn't tell you what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I literally could have called you. And you could have let me vent for 15 minutes. I didn't. You know, and so it took me a couple weeks before I was like, okay, I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. And again, back to the whole, I'm not doing what I'm preaching, <laughs> you know, is yep. what it's coming down to. Yeah. Like everybody, hey, maybe if I don't have time, I'm going to not sleep for 30 minutes and make that phone call. We yeah. always have time. People just use that as an excuse not to do something. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we all have those people in our lives that want us to call at one in the morning and vent to them. They mm-hmm. want us to do that. Mm-hmm. I have guys do that to me. They call me. I know I can do the same to to them, but I don't. Why? I've got the time. So how I think much, we just make up that? a lot of excuses. Sorry. Sorry. I may interrupt, interrupt you. But how much of that is you not wanting to be a bother to somebody else? Oh, 100%. And, but then there's also that added, is this worth making it known to somebody else? Even in the peer support where you're there to help, but is, you start thinking, is this big enough to take there? We'll see, and I think that's you know, that, that's what kind of that think. that's kind of that fallacy of thinking, though. Of is this a big enough thing to call on? If you're thinking about it, then yeah, mm-hmm. that's the answer, 100 mm-hmm. percent of the time. Yep. If it's bothering you that much, where you're thinking about maybe you should call somebody, you should Probably call somebody. Call. Yep. Yeah. But that's not how. In the, I'm not. I'm no, not no, arguing. Right. I, 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 agree. I agree with. I agree with Jeremy saying. I, I agree with, yeah. with with what you're saying. I'm just saying that's how people are thinking, mm-hmm. especially in these lines of work. When you got, you throw in military, police, fire, and there's some other ones where you're an alpha or close to one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the thought is this isn't a big enough deal to go talk to somebody about. I got this until well, it festers, like, yeah, like that nasty boil on someone's foot. Yeah. And then yeah. you and show up explodes. to work and you're a massive jerk all day long. Yeah. Yep. And people are over you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly but what it's like. Okay, you should have called somebody. Yeah. But that's the that's the point though, is to change that culture and change the stigma. Mm-hmm. The the thinking has to change. It's gotta be seen as it's okay and it's appropriate to call somebody. And that's the thing that you should do. And if you think about it, if you were on a peer support team and then you call somebody else from the peer sport team because now maybe you need to vent to somebody you're modeling exactly what is supposed to be done every time yes. and then they see you doing it like you did when you gave that powerpoint presentation you're again showing everybody hey this is what it takes this is how we look out for each other mm-hmm. uh, so if you change your mindset a little bit on making that phone call you know even if it wasn't something that maybe was necessarily in our opinion that's a right 100% of the time <laughs> yeah. rose to the level i need to make that phone call you're yeah. still t- showing them like hey sometimes you just got to do it yep well and that goes back to i mean that's a good example of leadership but <laughs> also it goes back to who am i or who are you to tell me what's worthy what's trauma what should bother me what mm-hmm. shouldn't you know that's like i said if it's to the level where you think maybe you should call you should call Call. and 
we get into this thing where, and especially with different services, right? Mm -hmm. With fire service and military or fire service and police or whatever, where we want to compare and contrast. Well, my trauma is not as bad as your trauma and your trauma is not as bad as their trauma. And, you know, so I don't need to do this. I'm going to help you out or whatever. Mm -hmm. We got to stop comparing Mm -hmm. because everybody's trauma is, it's individual. It's different. It's apples and oranges for every single person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that I think is based off of experience too. Like, mm-hmm. and so I, I just a couple of weeks ago, I had a good friend of mine. He was like, you know, listening to your story. Anytime I go through something hard, I'm thinking like, Jim's gone through way, way worse. And I'm like, well, if that's all you heard in my story, then you're missing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. like everybody, like everybody's got their own trauma levels and Hey, this is a red versus a green or whatever it is. And you can't. Like you said, you cannot compare because we've all got different experiences. That is not healthy to compare. That's actually very damaging. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if if you think you should call and talk to somebody, boom, that's how you know it's bad. Yep. Period. Not based off of Jim's experiences. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, no, you don't base it off of mine because, yeah. And I meant to ask you, did you get some of that too then? So you talked to the guys in the fire service, um, I'm guessing – Hopefully, and if not, most of them did ever have that same experience you had in the military. So you probably had guys, I don't know if they've admitted this to you since then or not, like, well, still, I never went through anything like you went through, so I didn't feel like I could talk, you know, that, that comparing thing. Did you hear any of that? Have you had any of that feedback? I've had that a handful of times. Yeah. And But what's awesome is usually, I don't even remember how it comes up in conversation, but when it does come up, it's like perfect timing to basically have what we're talking about mm-hmm. right now. Like, you can't be doing comparing. Yeah, Your trauma is your trauma. Your stresses are your stresses. Because, you know, me worried about my business or my marriage might not be the same stresses that you have. Mm -hmm. Like, yours could be just all work-related. And trauma at work, where mine are outside of work. You just can't do that. So, yeah, it's happened a handful of times. And I'm glad when they bring it up, though. Um, it, it opens a lot of eyes when we're able to have this conversation Mm -hmm. and usually people end up at the fire station. They slowly come around when you're one-on-one and then they show up and they're hearing it too. They're like, okay, cool. So it's a good, good eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's training and education. Yes. So put that down as training. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, I was, I'm reading a book right now, um, Tanya Glenn has a new one out that I'm reading and she, she kind of says the same thing a lot in most of her books kind of touching on similar points, but she talks about how with her practice, what they really focus on is the education portion Mm -hmm. of going in whenever there's a critical incident and, you know, explaining, okay, this is what you're probably feeling. This is, you know, the issues going forward. This is what to watch out for. These things, these things, these things. So it normalizes everything. And I think we need that, mm-hmm. especially in the fire service of, yeah, it's okay. And we've kind of talked about it, you know, this idea or whatever of we're supposed to be able to go and run these bad calls. Now let's let's take personal life and it, all the past. Let's take that out of it. But we're supposed to go run this messed up call that people are just, I mean, it's traumatic, mm-hmm. right? 
dead baby, shooting, whatever it may be. And then we're supposed to go just carry on like normal and it's not supposed to bother us. There are people like that. They're called psychopaths. I mean, the stuff is going to affect you. Yep. And knowing that it's going to affect you and that these are the things to watch out for and these are the feelings that you're probably going to feel and it's okay to feel them. I think that goes a long way to preventing or maybe keeping people from going so far down that PTSD, depression, all of that stuff. A little bit of being proactive. Mm -hmm. And also educating educating people, too, when they get to that point, like, they think, well, I never, I'm numb. I never process any of that. I never feel any of that, ever. Like, even when I go home, I go off shift. Like that's a big warning sign. We gotta let people know. Like, yeah, that's like you said, it's not normal. Yeah. Eventually, that stuff should hit you. It's not going to hit you at work. Hopefully, yeah. usually doesn't because that's adaptive in, in the moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah. a day later, or even right after your shift, if you're not ever feeling that shitty call, then yeah, yeah, that's well, a sign. So, and you said something interesting right there about being numb. And whenever I was in treatment. You know, because that's the common thing of people will say, oh, well, I'm numb. I don't really feel anything or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the therapist was like, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> you're feeling everything. Yeah. You're just so overwhelmed by all those feelings. You don't know which one you're feeling. Yep. You just throw out anger and covers everything. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't know. So I don't know if that's true or not true, whatever. But yeah. That's or just, even but, worse with the anger thing, like putting everything else on someone your spouse mm-hmm. i'm going to dump all of this on you this is all your fault for anything that's going on this is all your fault when it's like no it's actually 100 percent all mine like yeah. i'm the one being yeah. a dick here not like, i mean yep yeah but they should understand that yeah don't you know what mm-hmm. i'm thinking yes like come you on you don't yeah. know what i go through <laughs> So that actually leads me to another question I kind of want your opinion on of how much do you share with your wife about what you see at work? Uh, Like, is it? So I'm sure you guys get the whole, there's certain guys that what's happens at work stays at work. I don't bring that home, blah, blah, blah. Mm Mm-hmm. Bunch of liars. They totally bring it. Everything goes home. <laughs> you yeah, know, what? you can't not. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you're, you're an idiot. Um, so I bring all of it home, and I can't help it. I mean, ask my kids. I'm a If I have a long night or a bad call, I'm a jerk. And so there's a lot of apologizing going on and a lot of explaining what's going on and what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. I I try to be 100% open. And I'm personally, and when you've been in this long enough, I mean, I've been doing it since I was 17. I'm over trying to hide how I'm feeling or being a strong person, especially with my wife. With my wife especially, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so I tell her everything. If I have a bad call, I this is what it was. And she's 100% supportive. Um, There's a lot of guys who will say, nope, I'm going to protect my wife from that. It's like, you can tell your wife anything. And she's she's just picturing a little bit in your head of the guy that was floating in the bathtub for five days. Whatever it is. 
she's just getting a little glimpse of what it was. She's not really understanding all of that, right? Um, if that's something that bothered you, that doesn't bother me anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, but being very open with your spouse, like how much easier is that going to make your work? You going to work and I mean the whole it's true happy wife happy life thing, like. Hundred percent. Like if you're open and communicating and explaining all that to your spouse, life is so much easier. And you probably had that conversation with her, and she knows she's okay with you bringing that home. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so that was the other thing. Like my wife didn't know any. My first two deployments, she thought I just stayed on the striker the whole time. And I remember I made a phone call one day. And I said something like, oh, yeah, we just got done with the raid last night, blah, blah, blah. I slipped up. And uh, and she's like, oh, that's cool. And she got off the phone, and she said something to her dad. He's like, does that mean he's off the striker? She's like, that means he's off the striker. <laughs> she, she was like, yeah, I was never really on the striker for very long. <laughs> and so um, once I just realized to communicate, and I'm sharing everything, like, because – the other thing to remember is, like, your spouse isn't going to get mad at you if you're struggling about something that was bad. Mm-hmm. Like, and if she does, then she's wrong. Like, that's not okay for your spouse to get upset with you because something bothers you. It might not bother everybody, but it bothers you. That's okay. And so most spouses are going to be very supportive of that because it's only helping your relationship. Especially if you're trying to, you're not just going to, like, well, this is just my life now. If you're trying to help yourself, then she's got that understanding. Okay, yes. he's working on it. This is what he's doing. Exactly. Yep. Or you could go five days of just being a butthole to her, and that's not going to work out very well. So it's uh, yeah, not optimal probably. I mean, do you guys do the same. You do you share just about everything, or you guys keep certain things? Um, so I share a lot with Rachel, but obviously she's a counselor, so she's kind of. I mean, that's what she deals with on a daily basis. So I try not to go too in-depth details um, just because I don't want to – I don't want to put those images in her head, mm-hmm. you know. But I will talk about, you know, we ran a bad call. And then sometimes it's just full word vomit and everything comes out and I just can't help it. But, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I don't know where I land on that. Because I've heard, you know, some people yes, some people no, and then you talk about, you know, secondary trauma and, you know, the spouses having to deal with that kind of stuff where even though they don't see it, they're still going to be affected by it. But then on the other side of it is if you're just coming home and being a jerk Mm -hmm. and you're not telling them what's going on, they're going to fill in the blanks. Yes. Assume it's them even. Yeah. Yep. And then, 100%. And that That's, makes it even yeah. worse. So I don't know. I think there's a there's probably a way, and it's probably going to be individual for each couple, mm-hmm. of how much and how you're going to share that stuff to get the point across without going overboard. Yes. So, And whatever works for you is what's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Well, so. and I feel like with your wife being a counselor, that's got to be pretty – like, is she willing to come home and, cool, I'm going to listen to another hour when I've been doing <laughs> this all day For long? For free at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, whenever I can you get a word in You better be making me dinner. Yeah. 
which I, I do a lot. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, she has no problem. If I say I want to talk, then we sit down and talk. Cool. So it's not, it's never a, I don't want to listen to you right now. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with dumb firemen all day mm-hmm. type thing. So, yeah. What's I'm, one more? Yeah. What's yeah. one more? <laughs> What's one more idiot? Yep. <laughs> well, if she's invested in the marriage too, she's like, she knows she's capable of handling that stuff and yeah. putting proper perspective if it's missing in your story, you know? Yeah. So, well, and then there have been times where, you know, I've quote unquote used her as a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I mean, that's not right technically it's she's my spouse mm-hmm. and i'm like hey was i wrong here or yeah. you know this is what i'm feeling about this call am i wrong for feeling this way or you know whatever and she's like no that's you know and she's able to give a little bit better insight mm-hmm. you know because she does have that training and that knowledge and she knows me yeah so it's beneficial it <laughs> in is, that yeah. whole process it really yeah. is yeah yeah and well, i think Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's helped immensely. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and you said something on the phone the other night uh, when we were talking about the same thing, just preparing your spouse. What was that? How you said it? Do you remember? Like what your wife says? Oh, set them up for success. Yes. Yeah. That's what my wife, I stole that from her. Yeah. Because she would say that to me, you know, I'm setting you up for success. I think she's probably like, hey, why don't you return the favor, dummy? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But like you're talking about that. When you have that bad call, let her know, hey. I'm a jerk today. It's because I'm just thinking about what happened or what I saw last night or what we yep. did. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm totally going to take it out on you. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> it's going to be a bad day. Yeah. I've literally said that to my wife before. Like, I'm going to have a bad day. Sorry. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just stay away from me. I suck. But I will bet you just telling her that up front was a lot less of a bad day than you expected. Yeah. It's like we talked about earlier. That's that like a pressure valve almost. Right, I got the elephant out of the room. Yeah. Even though it's not a great day, probably, but it's still not let didn't lead to where it could have. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think there's. It's important to not overuse that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think because there you could abuse that. Yep. Of. Mm-hmm. So. And I think they will pick up on that pretty quickly if we start doing that. Oh, I think so. <laughs> Yep. We may think they won't. We're sly, but yeah. they will. That goes yeah. back to that whole Oscar nomination yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Chris. Hmm. 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 About a quarter. What tell her? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I'm not going to unload the job on her. She has, she didn't know anything about the fire service when we met. I was already on the job. So she knows when I've, had a bad night or a day or run bad calls, but I'll talk about some of it, but the most part I'm like, yep, had had some bad shit, so I'm going to go in the garage and try and build something. Good or, tinker. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go to the basement and play video games. You know, just kind of leave me alone. But <clears throat> she still gets the brunt of it. Yeah. And she likes to poke the bear, so. Well, I think that's part of a... Uh Every relationship is different, and I think you just uh, both spouses need to understand it's going to come home whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And obviously, she knows that she does. Um, but then you got other spouses; they want to know everything. Some are in the middle, some are a quarter, and every every couple just has to figure that out. What's that happy place for them? So, 
Yeah. I don't know. It's sometimes it's a judgment call on your part too. How much yes. they, you know, like when I met my wife, I wasn't in patrol anymore. So I didn't have like, I wasn't coming home with the mangled bodies or dead babies or shooting victims or none of that. But it was more like the danger aspect then, you know, get called out at nine o'clock on a Sunday night. What are you doing? Well, you might not tell them. Yeah. We know there's four dudes in a van right now going to do a drive-by and we got to stop it. Um, like, Oh, I don't know. They got an investigation. We got to arrest somebody. And then when I come home later, safe, you can tell them, you know, and she was normally okay with that though. Um, but she's got to find that fine line. I mean, she knows what I did for I feel like I that would almost be harder though than dealing yeah. with like, Hey, I had another dead baby call. Like, or hearing all the time that every night you go out, you're looking for an armed suspect. Yeah. I feel like for, if I was on the other end, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, my spouse is literally going and looking for those dudes and might get shot in, at any time. Yeah. So I feel like that aspect had to been a lot harder. I don't know for her. We, I was doing that already when I met her okay. and she knew what the job was before I met her. Cause I met her through my partner and she was friends with him and his, his wife. So she kind of had a new a glimpse anyway, but mm-hmm. he's one of the tell your guy, tell your wife nothing guy. <laughs> so she. <laughs> so how much glimpse does she really she have? Knew Mike? It was yeah. Possibly <laughs> dangerous, but no uh, details other than that were unknown. Yeah, yeah. She just thought you always stayed in the striker too. Exactly. Well, he just drives the car. He didn't get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and car doors stop. Take bullets. it through the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Helping old ladies cross the sidewalk and stuff. You know. Yeah. But. And I know mine liked it better when I was a driver. Or for when, for four shifts, it was it was longer than that. I only drove for four. <laughs> it's not my fault. But even like it, when we were firefighters and we would drive, she liked it better when I did that because she knew what. Because thanks to the media and social media, they kind of see what we do a little bit and the buildings we're going into, and the it goes back to the danger aspect, mm-hmm. and especially in the areas that I've, I've worked in previous. You did a lot of that, and every day it was, you know, you get questioned, and I just kind of evade it a little bit. Like, yeah, we're going to have fires, but more so keeping her at ease with the guys that I work with. It made, you know, her knowing them and listening to us talk, I think made it a lot easier on her. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're going to a, a, a dangerous building or a bad situation, but I've got four to eight people in my station that are going with me and you trust them. So I, and that's, that, that was a huge, a lot of help. Yeah. They, they know that when you do that work, the guys with you doing it are as good as they can be. And mm-hmm. they trust that aspect of it too. Like she trusted the guys I worked with, you know, Hey, they all have each other's back. I'm yep. sure your wives feel the same. Like, yeah. Now it's when I get a whole crew of brand new people is when I think she worries more. That's what you don't tell her. <laughs> yeah, that's when, yeah, that's when you yeah. don't tell her. <laughs> yeah. I, whenever I was, had just been promoted, maybe like three months or something, I get on the rig because, you know, we're floating at the time. I turn around, look in the back seat, and I've got two firefighters who literally just came out of the academy three weeks ago, and I am old enough to be their dad. I'm like, Okay. This is going to be interesting, Let's especially the part of town that I was in at the time. Buckle up, son. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't tell Rachel that until <laughs> when I got home the next morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a need to know, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no need to make her worry about stuff that exactly. There's no control over. I mean, there's inherent danger to the job every day you leave the house, regardless. 
that's always there. It's never when there's nothing we can say we're doing or not doing that's going to stop that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that is true. The job is dangerous enough mm-hmm. without throwing the mental health aspect of it of being silent and suffering in silence and yeah. all that stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, and I know my wife will be the first one to tell you immediately. Like, it was different knowing it could happen, and then it was a lot different after I got shot and then went back to work again. She's like, it was totally different. It was a lot harder. Yeah. Because um, that, like I said, the danger's there, and she knew it. But damn, then it happened. Yeah, to us. it literally happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah but what's the odds mm. that it's going to happen again? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, getting struck by lightning twice. Thing. It's yeah. all. Yeah, it's fine. I'm good now. Yeah, we got the one guy that had the gun. All done. Yeah. <laughs> Kansas City is safe. <laughs> oh man. So I, I did. I, something you said earlier. I had a question about. You were angry that your guys weren't calling and checking on you after you got out of the military. So now you call and check on people. So when it comes to the military, um, I don't check up on them very often at all. The reasoning for that is my life is so busy right now. I've decided the best place for me to focus on, you know, A, if they want to talk, they, they know they can call me. B, I'm more worried about the people immediately around me. I don't have enough time for calling the 100 people I knew from the military plus the 70 people I know through the fire service plus all the friends that I have in my life. So I've just decided I'm focusing on my fire guys and the immediate people around me. And uh, in that aspect, they all know they can call me. Um, I, I literally tell everybody I've always got my phone on. The only time it's on vibrate or silent is when I'm at church. That's it. And uh, yeah. So I, I, that's another hard part. That's what bothered me in January when I lost my buddies, like where my mind was going, like I should have called them. I should have been there for them. I wasn't, but again, I don't have enough time for playing a peer support member for everybody I've ever known in my life. Nobody can do that. And so I, I gotta be okay with that to not be the helper for everybody. I'm just one dude. And that's, thank God you have that perspective. When you lose that, that's when you need to call somebody. Then if you think you got it for everybody, there's probably something underneath yep. it. Mm-mm. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, that whole thing of span of control, mm-hmm. sphere of influence, that kind of thing. I mean, there's a reason why you only supervise six, seven people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you can't. wear yourself out. Yeah. You spread yourself so thin, stuff starts falling through the cracks. Yep. And what's the first thing to go for most of us? It's ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we start dropping all that other stuff, too. Yep. Snowball rolling downhill just gets bigger and bigger. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's easy to correct one misstep. Mm-hmm. But then you take that other step down the path, and then the other step, and the other step, and pretty soon you're lost. And you failed land nav. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, Chris, nothing. You don't want to interject some Clone Wars or anything. Sure. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to know? I don't know anything about that show. That's a shame, man. We should We've watch got Disney Plus right now. <laughs> yeah. We could do like the Mystery 3000, so the Washdown Podcast movie edition. 
Yeah, we we talked about that. I know I, copyright bullshit. Yeah, and I don't know how to do that with the camera anyway. I'm not that technically savvy. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, I was going to ask you guys something. So, something I've been trying to do at my department obviously just depends on how the fire academies go. If the guys need more help, extended time, then usually the peer support day or hour window is the first thing to get next. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to get it scheduled in where new guys are getting a presentation and they know they've got the peer support along with everybody on the department is a peer and is there to help them and work through their stuff and don't let it just settle and think they can handle it. Like we've all been talking about. Um, Is that something you guys saw in your department that you guys would try to do? Or is it one of those, Hey, we just talk to people as something comes up. So for us, they have started implementing in our Academy where we have a mental health professional come in and talk for, I think, a couple hours or something one day in the academy, which is, I mean, it's a start. But for the most part, it's left to once these kids get out in the field, somebody has to pull them aside and say, hey, you remember that thing that they talked about in the academy? Okay, mm-hmm. well, here's your other resources. Yeah. Because it's not like, it's not a high priority. Right. So, I mean. Well, yeah, they, fighting fires and yeah. everything else is way more you know, physically dangerous. Yeah. So we just don't think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, you can see their strides being made and that's goes nationwide. That's Mm -hmm. not just our department. Um, and some departments are doing it way better and some are not doing it at all. Yep. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I think you have a whole spectrum Mm -hmm. of people who are seeing that there's a need out there and are taking steps for it. But, I think we're still, we're 20 years behind where we probably should be yeah. at this point. So I've seen more strides in the last five years than yeah. our entire careers. And I think that's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. With the new generation coming on, they're a lot more open yeah. and willing to kind of go that route than the yeah. rest of us. Well, and, you know, like we talked about with culture and stigma and all that is – that's ultimately what has to happen. The The culture of the department and the culture of the fire service in general has to change mm-hmm. to make it to where that stigma isn't there anymore, where it is okay and it's expected that you are going to go to your wellness check or you're going to go and talk to peer support if you have a problem and you're going to be proactive about that stuff. Getting to that point, you got to have buy-in. It's easier see if I can say this the right way. It's easier for the new people coming in to start them off that mm-hmm. way than to convert the people that have been doing it for 20 years that have been living with this of, no, you're weak if you go do that yep. and getting them to change their mind. And so that's part of what <laughs> contributes to the growth being slow there too. Yeah. Because you can expose people to the academy and tell them this is what's going to happen. This is what the job's going to do to you. These are the signs to look out for. This is how you take care of yourself, you know. And then if they don't go to a culture that embraces that or helps them actually mold that, because you, you know, at least on the police side, you learn the state way to do something. 
you learn the KCP or the PD way to do something, and then you learn the way it's actually done on the street most of the time. Yeah. Um, so what are they learned? What's being done on the, how things are being done once they get there. Yeah. So if that's not part of it, we're, you know, those 20 something year olds who are bulletproof and full of peace, piss and vinegar, none of that, what we taught them in the academy stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not well, being practiced once they get out. Yeah. And that's a, a perfect example of, you know, you go, they go to a station where the culture is still that stigma. How long Suck does it, up. it, yeah. How long does it take before? they start buying into that, mm-hmm. you know, not very long. Yeah. No, not, <laughs> not really very quick. long. Yeah. Cause they think, well, all these guys are good. I'll be good too. Well, yeah. and they're, even though they're up not, they just guys. don't realize yeah. that yet. Yeah. Yep. Or, you know, because this guy's been divorced five times and this guy's a raging alcoholic and this guy's a drug addict and this guy can't show up for work because of whatever, but they're great firemen. And what do we yeah. do to those guys? We just, yeah. we make it a joke. Oh yeah. Divorce rates high. Oh yeah. We all drink too much. Yeah. So then, it's, well, okay, that's okay then, right? Yeah. That's what... Yeah. Um, yeah. I've sucked into that. Like, mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, yeah. It is what it is. Catholic yeah. Irish cop. Yeah, I'm going to drink a lot. Okay. <laughs> you know, Jeremy yeah. brought up Clone Wars a minute ago. That's a perfect example of watching somebody take missteps. So you got... <clears throat> and you got, you got your prequels, right? So in episode two, you see Anakin as a teenager and how he's in love with Padme and all that. Then you skip right to episode three. And now he's a raging asshole. <clears throat> and they're going on a slippery slope. So you watch the Clone Wars and you watch the whole process of him going from episode two to episode three and why he becomes the way he is. And you, when you look at it from the because I went back and watched it again after a lot of stuff we've talked about. And you start seeing things and you can just you just watch him go down the, 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 the dark side path yeah. <clears throat> and how they could have stopped it at so many points. But there was, there was, I mean, the, the Clone Wars were disturbing. I mean, not, you know, it's war, right? And you got to make decisions. People, people die, unfortunately. Well, but, but I you're think... watching the PTSD set mm-hmm. in and ne- never get treated, and how e- that's why it was so easy for him to be manipulated the way he was because he was mentally weak. He never got fixed. Well, and I think that that brings up a, a great point, though, of. You know, it seems like a lot of people think, well, oh, it's this one big thing. It, usually it's not one big mm-hmm. thing. Mm-mm. It's all the little things mm-hmm. along the way. You know? And you, know, it, you also kind of learn how Obi-Wan learned how to become a force ghost, right? In that show. Because he had Qui-Gon to help teach him. And I, they don't show it. They kind of showed it in the TV show a little bit. But kind of him dealing with stuff. So that's why he never, because they say, oh, he's had all this bad stuff, but he never turned. But he also had some help in dealing with all the bad stuff that happened to him throughout his life as a Jedi. Yep. Well, and you bring up, it's just making me think, I mean, all of all of our lives, reason why we're not asking for help and dealing with this stuff is 100% a pride issue. Hmm. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. That's, that's our root issue. Mm-hmm. Of yes, we've got all of the this trauma, lots of trauma, but our main issue is pride. If we didn't have pride, we'd immediately go and ask each other for help. Yeah, you're not worried about being seen as weak. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. When again, in our weakness, we're made strong. <laughs> How much of that are we actually going to believe? You know, by by me showing my weaknesses, I can have others come together with me and build me up and make me strong, and where they're strong together. 
Mm-hmm. We're not. I'm actually weak when I'm being super prideful and thinking I can handle it again, mm-hmm. which I haven't been handling it. So I'm going to keep not handling it. It's just like well, so dumb. Man. You know, it's a it's a, a good example. Weightlifting. Yep. You have spotters. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean. Or like practicing mental health. I can't go to the gym one day and expect to bench 300. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't go to work one day, go through one really bad traumatic event, and expect to know how to do it when I haven't been practicing all the small ones or all the previous stuff as well. Yep. It's a skill. You learn it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 100% right. Well, Jim, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for this having me. This was awesome. So do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Let's close on the lose your pride and ask for help if you need it. I think we'd all do a lot better. Don't be like Anakin. That's right. <laughs> Jeez. You know? Nerd alert. Back. Yeah. Nerd. <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> I saw a great meme or a reel on Instagram the other day that this comedian who was talking about nerds and dorks and like all of that stuff. If I find it, I'll send it to you. <laughs> Mike? Thanks for having me back. Help host. Well, thanks for coming. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for coming, Jim. Like yep. I said, I thanks hope you keep doing me. what you're doing, man. That's you know, it's what the culture needs is strong people to step up and be like, hey, I struggled. It's normal. I'm gonna struggle again. I'll reach out. You guys need to reach out too. Um, it's good stuff. Yep. Chris. I don't know, man. I'm on Clone Wars right now. I'm thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Closing thoughts on Clone Wars. Go. There you go. That's kind of what I was thinking about. I mean, just it's a, a great analogy for mental health. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I didn't catch it the first time because I did, never, never put two and two together. I didn't think about it. And then when I, when I watched it through that lens, totally changed the show for me. Still a great show, but you just watch that decline and how they could have stopped him well, so how, many times. And how Anakin, you know, go in nerd mode. Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so, like, Anakin didn't even know. No, he had no idea. You know, all of, like us, we didn't know what the heck was going. It's just real subtle, real subtle stuff, just slowly creeping in our lives and Mm -hmm. taking over before you know it. You're in the dark, and you don't even know what the heck happened. Yep. You're making bad decisions and trying to do things on your own. You know, if if he would have just been honest and open. And I think some of the, I think there were some, some policy issues within the Jedi that helped lead him down that path, too, just like police, fire departments, military, corporations have. You know, the whole not being able to be married thing and how it's misconstrued and now he knows. So he's making a bad decision, but he can't talk to anybody about it because he'll be kicked out of something he loves and kind of how that leads him down a dark path too. So I think an organization changing some of its policies as a whole for the better can help push some of that stuff off. There's a lot to that show when you start breaking it down. Mm-hmm. You overthink it because you're a nerd. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> Nerds! You, you definitely need a Clone Wars episode. Apparently, yeah. yeah. That's uh... You need to just fit in little snippets of quotes from Clone Wars in here. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. I, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will watch the series. We will have you back on, and we will sit here, and we will break it all down. Heck yeah, I'm down. Man, I have to watch it again now, too. It was next been, week. Been a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> They're only like 28-minute episodes, too. So, But you got to start with the movie. It's an hour and a, hour and a half. Okay. 
And that's where Ahsoka comes in and all that, and he ends up getting the Padawan. All right. I'll watch it. You guys can have convinced me. Yeah. That, that, and that makes the Mandalorian makes more sense when she shows up. Okay. Hmm. I already <laughs> said you convinced me. You don't have to keep selling it. <laughs> Jeez. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Well, thanks, Jim, for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Chris, glad you were here. Yeah, you're awesome, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> everybody thanks for stopping by remember if you are struggling reach out there are resources out there if you know somebody that's struggling reach out let them know you care let them know there are resources out there and uh yeah take care of yourself we'll see you next time